Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, we ask for your help this weekend. We ask for your help in observing Memorial Day because our we we don't have the right words and we don't have enough words that could be said to thank and, and to honor and to and to memorialize those who've, who've, who've lost their lives in serving. God, we want, we want to be able to communicate our thanks. We want to be able to communicate our care and support for those who've lost loved ones in service of our country. And so we just ask you humbly, Lord, help us to honor in a respectful way to honor and, and observe this holiday. Father, we ask for your peace and your comfort on all those who struggle on this holiday. And God, you know, we're, we're just reminded that your son Jesus himself said that the greatest expression of love that a person can ever do is to lay down their lives for others. And so we pray that you help us observe and honor and respect those who are, we are remembering this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We thank you guys for being with us, for making this worship service a part of your Memorial Day weekend. And we do hope that we're all able to observe uh, this, uh, this important holiday. This morning, we are continuing a teaching series through the book of Acts in the New Testament, the book of Acts. It comes at the very end of the four gospels. The events of the book of Acts take place just after Jesus has been crucified, died, and rose from the dead. And the book of Acts is a kind of an interestingly named book. A lot of the books in the Bible, the majority of them, are named after the person that wrote them. This was written by Luke, who was the uh, medical doctor, who was a follower of Christ, who had written his own gospel of Luke. Uh, and he, so as Ed has said, the book of Acts is almost part two of Luke's writings. So it's, if you'll look at the top of the page in the Bible that you're holding, or maybe on the device that you're reading scripture with today, and if you look at the very top of the page, or the top of the screen, right before the book of Acts starts, it says the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles is referring to the main first disciples and followers of Jesus. Initially, there were 12 of them. There was often more than just 12 people following Jesus and as a part of his uh, group of followers. But the main guys, there were 12 of them. It is shrunk down to, to 11. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But the Acts of the Apostles is basically saying this is what these men did as they, after Jesus was crucified, died, and resurrected, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we have talked about, and Ed introduced this to us, it's kind of, we, what would be the very best title of the book of Acts is really cool, but it's like ridiculously long, so, but let's look at it together. This is what we could call the book of Acts. The acts of the Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. We should make people memorize that, wouldn't you think? And then you'd get an extra donut at the cafe 
if you could say it and recite it correctly, uh, with a Jewish kind of accent. Uh, in fact, during this, this time that we are doing, going, walking through chapter by chapter, uh, passage by passage, verse by verse, through the book of Acts, we actually have chosen as our main translations that you'll see on the screen the majority of the time, the complete Jewish Bible, a really good, solid, biblically sound translation that one of the features of it is that it, it lists the net. Whenever you see someone's name, and we've, those of us who've been around Bible study for a while, we, we might be familiar with some of the names of, say, the apostles. Uh, you know, James, John, um, you know, Philip, Andrew, Judas, all these different people, and they give us, in this translation, the Jewish names. So it's always fun to try to say them right and laugh at each other when we say them wrong. So that's, you know, we, we thought that would be a community-building experience. So, but seriously, it's a really good translation, and all of this leads us to, 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 to walking through these super important events that took place after Jesus resurrected from the dead three days after his crucifixion. So we're going to uh, get started here in just a couple of minutes with our portion of scripture that we're going to look at today. But first, I want to give you a quick review. After Jesus rose from the dead, three days after his crucifixion, for the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples on many occasions. And they had important conversations. And they, they saw some amazing things. And this was a really critical time for his followers, as you can imagine. Jesus would, would teach them. He would talk to them. He would remind them of some of the things they had experienced and some of the things that he had taught. And he, of course, was trying to get them ready for some important things that were coming down the road. Now, on one of these occasions that Jesus had appeared to spend time with his disciples, as I said, it was about 40 days after his resurrection. He was walking with them and he said, hey guys, let's go to the Mount of Olives, which was this uh, kind of a three peak uh, mountain range outside of Jerusalem. And he took them kind of towards the town of Bethany. And then he, and he stopped on, on one of those mounts, one of those uh, peaks of the Mount of Olives range. And he was telling them stuff. And he says to them, guys, do you remember when John the Baptist, three years ago, when John the Baptist was in the Jordan River and he was baptizing people? And they said, yeah, I remember. Some of them were like, yeah, I was there that day. That's when I first saw you. That's when I first started following you. And Jesus says, just like in the same way that John was baptizing people in water, in a few days, very soon, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they were like, okay, what does that mean? What are you talking about? You know, they're, they're trying to process this. Okay, the Holy Spirit. Okay, water. You come up out of the water. You're like totally drenched. Water's everywhere. You are one with the water. You're covered and it's just dripping all over you. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, ah, how's that? I don't know. So they were trying to process that. And he says, after... You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to become my witnesses. You're going to be the, the people that are going to tell my story. And you're going to do it here in Jerusalem. You're going to do it in the, the surrounding area, which is called Judea, Judea. And even to the ends of the earth. And they're like, whoa, that is wild. So we're going to travel farther than our town 
We're going to travel to the ends of the earth. What is the ends of the earth? Is there an end to the earth? You know, all these, I mean, they're hearing these words, but it's like, wow, I'm trying to process. And then a few minutes later, when he's done telling them all the important stuff, Jesus starts to levitate off the ground. He starts floating and he keeps floating up into the sky and disappears into the clouds. Trippy stuff. This is not something you see every day. So, so all the, the disciples are sitting there looking up at the clouds going, what just happened? He told us this stuff that we really don't understand. We had a little conversation about it. And then next thing you know, he floats up into the air. And so they're sitting there. And then the Bible says, and this was something that Ed was teaching us about last Sunday in the first part of the, of the book, of the first chapter of the book of Acts. They're sitting up there going, which is exactly what you and I would do, right? We'd be like, oh my gosh, what does that, you know, and we're like, and while they're doing that, suddenly there were two angels standing next to them. And the angels are like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, what do you mean what I'm looking at? Jesus just dis disappeared into the clouds. And they said, you should probably stop looking up at the clouds. He's going to come back in the same way that he just was, was raised up. And they're like, okay. So we heard this strange stuff. Jesus lifts up into the clouds and then two angels have a conversation with us. That's a big day. That's probably one of the more intense days anybody could have, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, the next verses that happen right after that experience. Now, here's the way we're going to break this down. Because what I want to share with you is that we're going to see what these guys and the, and the rest of the followers, the, the 11 main uh, apostles or disciples, and all the other men and women that kind of tracked with them, about 120 people all together. And we're going to see what they did from the time Jesus said, the I promise you the Holy Spirit is going to come and everything's going to change. And we're going to talk about what these people did between the time Jesus promised that and the time it actually happened. So, They've got this really important news that they just heard, but it hasn't happened. So what do you do in between? So we're going to look at what they did. And today's talk is all about living in the not yet. Say not yet. Not yet. Living in the not yet. We've been told something big is going to happen, but it hasn't happened not yet. So what do you do? What's the smart thing to do? We're going to look at exactly what these men and women did during their not yet. Now, question before we do that, how many of you can relate to being in a not yet time? I think something's coming, but it hadn't happened yet. We are all, everybody goes through not yet times. Maybe it's something that you have been wishing and dreaming and hoping and praying for. Maybe you even feel like from the words of scripture and from, 
from things that God has let you know. Maybe you even feel like God has promised you that something's going to go down. But it hasn't happened yet. So we're in the not yet time. All of us ultimately are in the biggest, most bodacious not yet of all. Because scripture promises us that there is a life after the life that we're living on this earth. Scripture promises there's eternal life. And for those of us who have bowed the knee to Jesus, those of us who have become Christ followers, our promise is eternal life in heaven with God. But it has not happened yet for any of us who are here, for any of us who have clicked on this link. It hasn't happened yet. So I think we can learn some lessons from what these men and women did. We can apply that to our lives. Imagine, if you will, now we all can know, we know you could describe for me your not yet time, right? The stuff that you're hoping for has been promised that hasn't occurred yet and your not yet time. But let's imagine for these first disciples and apostles and their their company of people that traveled with them. Imagine what that was like. Based on what Jesus told them right before he went up into the clouds, oh my gosh, if that was me, I would be full of questions. I would be like, what is that? When you talk about the Holy Spirit, apparently being so present on me that it's like dripping off of me like water if I just come up from being baptized in water. What does that feel like? What does that look like? What does that sound like? And we're going to talk about that next week because it's trippy. What is that like? What is this whole ends of the earth thing? What is, when is the stuff we thought was going to, how is this all going to play out? Imagine all of their question marks. And yet, even though they had very intense questions, maybe confusion, and we don't even know if they still might have had some fear for their lives and their livelihood like they did right after Jesus was crucified. There might still be some of that lingering. Their entire future is up in the air. What do you do But in the not yet times? I'm really glad, even though this is kind of an odd story and an odd grouping of verses, I'm really glad it's written down because we can learn some stuff that will help us during our not yet time. So let's jump right in and let's start with Acts chapter one, verses, verse 12, and then we'll roll through it. So after all of that happened, Jesus flows up in the sky, the angels talk to him. They're like, oh, uh," and then they just, here's what they do. Verse 12, then they returned the Shabbat walk distance from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Now we know that is Jerusalem, all right? And the Shabbat walk distance, that basically relates to a a rule and a regulation that the uh, observing religious Jews had to uh, obey different laws. That, were, that had originated in the Old Testament and then they added a bunch of laws. And one of the weird laws that, that they had to observe was that on the Sabbath, which was the holy day, the day for worship, it was Saturday for them. And there was a rule that you couldn't walk a certain distance or more than a certain distance because then that would be uh, like considered too much work on the Sabbath day. So you had to keep your walking to a minimum. There was a ration on the number of steps that you could take, it was 
Yeah, it was weird. But that's how they, and so this is just a reference to the fact that it was a Sabbath day, day's journey and roughly a kilometer, about two-thirds of a mile, something like that. So they walked from where Jesus went up into the sky and the angels talked to him. They walked back to Jerusalem, all right? And after entering the city, they went into the upstairs room they were, where they were staying. And the next slide we're going to show you is they name all 11 guys, okay? So the names of the emissaries. Now, emissaries is a cool word because in, in, in this uh, uh, Jewish translation of the Bible, they don't use the word apostles or disciples. They use emissaries. That's someone who is sent on behalf of another and has the authority to speak for and to represent that person, the person who sent them. Now, think about this. That's a pretty cool thing that you were an emissary of Jesus. And these guys were the very first ones, 11 of them, right? Guess who else are emissaries of Jesus? Who do you think it is? It's us. It's those of us who follow Christ, who name the name of Jesus, who live our lives according to his teachings. We are not just doing that so that we personally can experience a different kind of life. We're part of, part of the deal is that we are now his representatives and we tell his story wherever we go. We are emissaries. So here's what we're going to do at Church on the Trail. Uh, we're going to stop referring. When we see somebody, say, we don't say, hey, bro. Hey, man. Hey, friend. We say, hey, emissary. All right. We're going to police that. We just thought it would be cool. Make us feel important. Emissaries. That's what we are. Um, now, back to that, that list of names, right? Um, they, they, they name all 11 guys. And this is the point where you, you look at that uh, slide. It'll be up in, in just a second. And, and all the names are listed in the, uh, if, you don't, if you received a worship guide, then it's listed in the worship guide. I don't know if we can bring that slide back up uh, with all the names, but um, it's, it's it's, they're really hard to pronounce. And so you're, I know you're really looking forward to me uh, trying to pronounce them. Uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. So we're just going to not uh, do that. We're, but I'm going to trust that you can read and uh, you can sound it out yourself. Have fun. But um, so they list all the names of, of the 11 original emissaries. And then we can just, uh, yeah, there it is right there. So isn't that cool? Yakov, I mean, you kind of, I it's just, I, you know, and, and yeah, you just cough and it'll sound like, it'll sound like you're pronouncing one of these. What, you know what I love about this, this whole list of these just exotic sounding Jewish names and right in the middle is uh, Andrew and Philip. Can you imagine, you know, you're, they're introducing, hey, I'm Andrew, this is my friend Philip and uh, my Jewish friends call us Andrew and Philip, you know, I don't know why they didn't get a cool Jewish name, but at any rate, those are the only two I'm going to try to read. Well, I will say this. The first one listed, Kefa, K-E-F-A, that actually is Peter. Peter, because Kefa and Peter are so much alike. I don't know what, but these were their names. Now, the next verse in verse 14, um, it really gives us, it gives us the first clue of what these people did between the promise and the fulfillment, what they did during their not yet time. These all devoted themselves 
single-mindedly to prayer, along with some of the women, including Miriam, Yeshua's mother, that is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers and his, other, his sisters as well. So they devoted themselves to prayer. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. The first thing that we should be doing during our not yet time is devoting ourselves to prayer. I love that this was their first action. Oh, that this could be my response every time I'm in a confusing situation, every time that I don't understand, every time that I'm kind of overwhelmed by something I just went through, even if it's a good thing. But if there's just enough uncertainty to make me a little nervous, oh, I want that to be my response, that I would devote myself to prayer, devoting ourselves to prayer. A lot of people will, when they think about prayer, it can be a little bit intimidating. I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes people were like, I don't know about the prayer thing. I've heard dear friends of mine, they'll say, you know what, I'm not really that good at it. I'm not really good at the prayer thing or I'm not really comfortable uh, praying or I'm, it feels weird and I don't know what it's all about. Let, let's demystify the whole prayer thing and let's just get super practical. Let's approach prayer as a conversation. Maybe you can relate to thinking I'm not good at praying. That's sort of a misnomer because there is no, there's no scale. There's no, I'm really good or I'm really bad. There's, there's no right way or wrong way to do it. There's a ton of different ways to pray. And prayer is not a, a performance. It's not a thing that we, prayer is a heart thing and prayer is a conversation. So why don't let's just approach prayer as conversation. Let's just approach prayer as a talk that we could have with God. And I know that sounds weird too. And some people feel alienated by that concept. But let me just share with you one way that I understand it. Prayer is my way of staying checked in with God, of checking in with God. Now, I'm using a phrase that I learned in recovery and in the recovery, my personal recovery and the recovery ministry that I, I, I get to be a part of leading. And so we use the phrase, check in. It's a way that you can communicate with the people around you how you're doing, what you're doing. And eventually, it even why you're doing it. So checking in is a super important thing. I like to view prayer as me checking in with God. It's, a, it's like a really good entry point into a prayer experience and a prayer conversation with God. Checking in with God. Say check in. I want to give you a little life hack of how I check in and some of my friends. We use the word pest, P-E-S-T, say pest. Well, you, no, I'm not, you're a pest. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, that was lame. We'll edit that out of the video. It'll be like it never happened. Pest, we use the word pest and, 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 and it starts four comments that we make about ourselves and about what's going on in our lives. P, the letter P stands for physical. So I'm able to say, I'm checking in and I'm feeling this, this way physically. E stands for emotional. S stands for spiritual. And the letter T stands for temptation. 
how I'm handling and dealing with temptation. So if I'm checking in, like if I were to check in with you guys today, I'm going to check in. Is that, that, is that weird? Because it kind of feels weird. You think it's weird. We're going to do it anyway. I'm checking in, and you're going to hear it. So I'm Richard, and I'm checking in. Physically, not doing great. I'm pretty worn out. I, I drove home from Charlottesville, Virginia uh, yesterday. Got in last night, didn't get much sleep. Great trip. Uh, I, I was visiting my son, Derek, hashtag Derek Strong, who's doing much better and is this much closer to getting home, getting to go home. So I uh, appreciate all your prayers. So we had a great week with Derek, but kind of tired. Uh, I can't uh, see straight. Um, I, I can hardly read. I'm kidding. I'm trying to think of an excuse why I didn't try to read the, na the Jewish names. But seriously, I'm super tired. And so physically, eh, but there will be a Sunday afternoon nap coming. And I think that will make all things new. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I'm kind of in a not yet time. I know the promise of the nap is coming. And, but right now, you know, so I'm devoting myself to prayer. God, get me to my nap. So uh, I'm, 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 you know, not doing great physically, but, you know, I'm, I'm soldiering on. So uh, emotionally. Emotionally, I'm kind of all over the map, to be honest with you, because I'm, 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 I'm encouraged uh, by my visit with Derek. I had a great time. Also, but I'm a little sad, too, you know, that that block of time ended with him. Really glad to be home. But so I'm torn, you know. So emotionally, I'm kind of, you know, but, and I'm still worried about a lot of things. Um, and, uh, but I'm also hopeful because I've seen God do some amazing stuff. So emotionally, that's how I'm doing spiritually. Kind of tied to the emotions, but feeling some momentum, feeling a real good connection with God. So I'm grateful for that. Um, Temptation-wise, it's been a rough couple of weeks um, and where I feel there's just been this heightened, you know, fiery darts from the enemy just trying to, to get me off track. But grace, um, graciously, God has, has kept me uh, kept me from falling into temptation. So, or, or for yielding to temptation. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad. So that's my check-in. Boom. There it is. All right. Now, ch best check-in is a great way to, to see how you're doing. It's hard for me as a guy, and I'm not saying all guys are like this, but for me, the emotional, the E in pest was probably the toughest part when I first started doing this because my emotional vocabulary had two words. I'm doing emotionally good or mad. That was all, that's all I had, but I'm getting better at it. I'm learning. So that's how I check in. Now I have started to use a check-in mechanism as a, as an entry to my prayer. And so my prayer life has gotten kind of some new juice to it by checking in with God. Does that make sense? That I actually check in with God and I will say, good morning, Lord. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's, it's how you would start a conversation, right? Good morning, Lord, or whatever time of day it might be. And Lord, I'm checking in and you know how, I, I mean, he knows how I'm doing, but it's good for me to unload that. See, as sure as check-ins with my friends and my brothers in recovery and people and my family members, as sure as that's a healthy thing, checking in with God is a healthy thing because before I'm done, I have hit some very important stuff in my life. When I, tell what, when I tell God how I'm doing emotionally, you know what the emotions are tied to? They're, they're tied to something I'm going through. And it's a great way to kickstart the conversation. So I encourage you, talk to God about how you're feeling. And in that, you're gonna be telling him, 
I'm worried because of boom. And then suddenly you are doing what Philippians 4 verse 6 says, which says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything you're going through, turn it into a prayer. That's pretty cool, right? So imagine these, these disciples were going through their, 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 their walking back, you know, this kilometer after the whole thing with Jesus ascending into heaven and they're heading to the upper room and they're probably looking at each other like, oh, wow. So they've got all kind of stuff. But they're going to pray and they're not going to just sit and try to figure it out, but they're going to pray about the things they don't understand. And they're going to ask God to help them. And they're going to ask God to guide them. Let us be devoted to prayer in our moments of not yet. It's a simple step, but it, we can be distracted by the assumption, sometimes even the spiritual or religious assumption, that man, you know, I've been doing this God thing long enough. I should be able to figure this out. I should be able to stop worrying about this thing. I should be able to know quicker what the right decision is or the right thing to do is. And we can almost feel embarrassed and say, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't pray about this. I, I should know already. Anybody ever go through stuff like that? It's like, what, an, what a weird tactic of the enemy to get me away from the most basic and most important building block of my relationship with God, which is my conversations with God. Let us be devoted to prayer. Let us be devoted to prayer. We see another thing that the emissaries, the disciples did during their not yet time, and they were... They were leaning in to community. So this is what we should do. We should lean in to community. I like that language because it, it, it is, uh, it's an action. It's a call to action for me to lean in to relationships with others who are on this spiritual journey with me. Now, let me tell you how critical that is. is because we believe here on the trail, and we believe it's, it's, it's borne out in the teachings of the scripture, that the life of faith is not a solitary thing. It's not to be experienced and lived out in isolation. We are to experience our faith journey with others. We are, Jesus, when he was... He gathered disciples around him. They are, these are the guys we're talking about right now and the other men and women that, that traveled with them. These people didn't do their following of Jesus alone. They entered into community. And this should be our pattern as well. And it is so easy for us, and that's why I like this, uh, this language about leaning in. It is so easy for us I, I, for instance, if I was sitting in a chair, I could decide whether I'm going to sit back, leaning back on the, on, on the back of the chair or whether I'm going to lean in. And this is what we're being invited to do. Lean in to a community of faith. There have been times in my spiritual journey where I literally sat in literal chairs in a church building and I was present for a worship experience. I, I, I engaged 
in those kind of moments. But that was the limit to how engaged I was with that community of believers. Does that make sense? In other words, the chair I was sitting in was the extent of my experience in a church family. We're inviting you. We're, we're acknowledging that these people in Acts chapter 1, they didn't just sit. They leaned in. Now, if you look back again at verse 14, which we looked at just a moment ago, we're going we're gonna to pull that verse back up, where it says all of these people, the 11 emissaries, the 11 first guys, and then all the men and women with them, Verse 14, it says, these all devoted themselves single-mindedly to prayer along with, and then all the others, Mary, the mother of Jesus and Jesus' siblings. This is the example that is set out for us, that they didn't go their separate ways to process and figure stuff out. They stayed together. They decided we're gonna pray Instead of worry or pray and, or, and, and pray instead of uh, trying to figure it out all, all on our own. And they also decided that they were going to experience this sink or swim in a community. We believe that we change, we grow in community. We need each other. And so we invite you to join us as we attempt best we can to follow the example of the disciples, of the original emissaries and follow that example to while we are on this earth, 2021, in, our, in all our different not yets that we're experiencing, that we're not going to experience it in isolation, but we're going to be, we're going to be together. This is the example of scripture. And it is critical. One of my favorite verses in the Bible or passages of verses that speaks to this issue is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let's look at what that says. It speaks directly to this idea of community. It says, and let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds, not neglecting our own congregational meetings as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other and let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, you see a, a capital D on the word day. Well, actually that's in all caps, <laughs> so that's funny. But if you were reading on your device, you'll see it's a capital D, the day. That was the New Testament term for the day and nobody knew then and still nobody knows when it'll be, but the day that Jesus comes back the same way he went up. The day, it is approaching. And it's, it, that's all part of what motivates us to be together, to help each other, to reach out to each other for help, to encourage one another, to help keep each other accountable, to check in with each other and to walk this prayer experience out in community. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Now, uh, here on the trail, we try to create environments that make it actually practical, practically doable for us to lean into community, 
And that's why you hear us talking about, let's do growth groups. You know, the, the rally days are coming up in a couple of weeks. Let's, let's create moments where people can gather in small groups. Maybe that's why we keep asking, does anybody wanna, maybe you got an idea for a cool growth group. If you've got an idea for a group or, a, or, or something that would be cool to do here at Church on the Trail, we want you to let us know because we know that one of the benefits of that, one of the benefits is it'll give us a chance to lean in to community together, be together. So we have life groups, we have ways to gather together. We have teams that we can serve on, our serving teams. These are ways that we can be in community. You know, we have communities, you know, we have pockets of communities all over our lives, right? You have your work community, the people which you do your uh, 40 hour a week job. And some of you are laughing at me when I said 40, you're like, oh, what's that like? Try 70, you know, but whatever, you know, the, the occupations that we have, um, we have uh, teams, community, not, not, not just Microsoft teams, but we have, uh, you know, the teams that we play on or our kids play on or our, our, our classmates, the, 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 the study groups or whatever. We have our families. And our extended families, and so how many of you, you know, need to be devoted to prayer after spending time with your extended family community? Somebody say amen. All right, it happens. But these are, these, there's a spectrum, right? It is critical that in our faith journey, in our experience, as we begin to process what it is God is doing in our lives, process understanding the scriptures, dealing with stuff, serving people. It is critical that we lean in to a community. I think that some people have, you know, bunches of different communities in their life, but they lack a faith community. They lack a biblical, authentic community that they can lean into to process what they're experiencing in their faith journey. Don't don't be, get yourself a tribe. Come on, get yourself a tribe. It needs to be a uh, church on the trail. It needs to be somebody. Find you a local expression of the body of Christ, a local church that you can invest real life. You can do real life stuff with. Get a tribe, lean into community. All right. Now check out the next thing. We're going to look at verse 15. Check out the next thing that they do in their not yet time. Verse 15, during this period, when the group of believers numbered about 120, Kepha, Peter, stood up and addressed his fellow believers. In verse 16, he says, brothers, the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit, spoke in advance through David about Yehuda, which is Judas. And these words of the Tanakh had to be fulfilled. He was a guide, he's talking about Judas, he was a guide for those who arrested Yeshua. And he was one of us and had been assigned a part in our work. All right. So Peter immediately, now Peter was the leader of that first 11 group of emissaries. And he immediately, the first thing he talked about was he talked about what the Old Testament scriptures had to say about something they needed to address. This is a way awesome, great change that we see in Peter's life. And here's what I mean. If you are familiar 
with the stories of the Gospels, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the three years that, that, that those stories cover and how Peter was following Jesus most of that time. And Peter was constantly talking, right? He was doing this when he needed to be doing this. And almost, almost every time Peter was talking, he was putting his foot in his mouth or he was embarrassing himself because he would talk before he thought. Was it ready, fire, aim? That was kind of the way Peter functioned. And he, you just, boom, if he thought it, you heard it. And he was constantly having to kind of clean up messes. From, but that's just the way he was. And yet, in this moment, after everything that happened on the Mount of Olives, and they walked the kilometer back, and they're doing their thing in the upper room, and they're in community, and they're devoted to prayer, the first thing he says, what is basically what do the scriptures tell us we need to do? That's awesome. I want to be like that. When I'm addressing questions, when I'm addressing stressors, and when I'm addressing darkness that is, that is trying to infiltrate my life, that's where I want to go. I want to say, what does God's word say I need to be? So here's the next step of what we should do in our not yet. We should be guided by the word of God. Be guided by the word of God. G Judas is, is referred to in these verses that we just read, right? Peter, as the leader, is saying, Judas bailed on us in the worst possible way. He betrayed Jesus. He became a traitor. And now we need to replace him. That's basically what, what we're going to get to. The bottom line is we need to replace him. He was one of us. And now he's not. And then the next few verses go on to explain what happened to Judas. You guys might be familiar with this part of the story. It, through a, a, a technical glitch, I, we do not have the slides for the next couple of verses. And when I say technical glitch, what I mean is I forgot to put them in there. <laughs> so, but that, that's on me, not, not on anybody else. What happens is, is after Peter says all of this, Judas was one of us, and he had been assigned a part in our work. And then in a few minutes, he's going to say, we got to pick somebody to replace him. And in between there is, is two verses, verse uh, 18 and 19. And in those verses, it explains the kind of parentheses that Luke, the writer, put in to tell us what happened to Judas. Judas, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and then after he had done so, was so racked with guilt and shame and regret that it tells us, the scripture tells us, one, one telling in the book of Matthew said that he went out and hung himself. In the book of Acts chapter uh, 1 verse 18, it says he fell, he had, he had bought a plot of land and he fell from a certain height and he died from the fall. It's, it's hard to know what happened. But I want to tell you, it, it, this verse 18 is one of the top five grossest verses in the whole Bible. It's like you're watching an episode of Criminal Minds. I mean, it is just horrible. And there's a, a story from when my two, my two sons, Derek and Bryce, when they were young and in, and in grade school, uh, they were at a Christian school. 
And the, uh, one of their teachers had told them, look, you, can, uh, you need to memorize a verse in the Bible. And you can pick whatever verse you want to memorize. And so my sons picked Acts 1, verse 18. And so they came to me one day and they said, Father, no. They, they said, Dad, um, we've memorized a verse. I said, lay it on me, men of God. And they said, and Jesus fell headlong, uh, I'm sorry, Judas fell headlong to his death. And he burst open in the middle and his entrails spilled out. It's actually what it says. They, they present that to me as their verse. I looked at them and I said, gentlemen, I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> it was a great moment. Seriously, uh, it's pretty gross, Right? We don't know if he hung himself or if he fell or f hurled himself off a, from a certain height. More than likely, the bursting open thing happened post-mortem because maybe he did hang himself. And then eventually after decaying a little bit, he fell from the rope, you know, and, and so I'm sorry. It's just really gross. We don't know exactly what happened. All we do know is that his entrails became his extrails and then that was not good. But... Peter is saying to the, the other emissaries there, he's saying the Old Testament scriptures give us guidance as to what we need to do now. And there are a handful of scripture verses from the Old Testament that don't mention Judas by name, but they're, they, they do appear to be prophetic or future telling that someone was going to do a horrible deed that was actually close to to the Messiah. And those verses, just for your record, are in, in Psalm 41, verse 9, Psalm 69, and Psalm 109. Uh, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter 11 of his book in the Old Testament, he refers to some things and you go, whoa, that sounds exactly what, like what Judas did. So Peter is being guided by the scriptures. He's saying, wow, this is not just random. This happened. And there's some stuff in scripture that, that sheds some light on it. And we'll talk about Judas more a little bit later. Here's the thing. When we're in our not yet times, we're, we're easy targets for the enemy to confuse us, to, to uh, ratchet up the anxiety. And in those moments, the word of God, the scriptures can provide guidance. There's a, there's a verse, it's not on the screen, but uh, there's a verse I love from Psalms 119. Psalm 119, verse 130. And it says, your words, talking to God, your words are a doorway that lets light in. The entrance of your words into a situation, the words of God, the entrance of those words bring light into darkness. I remember uh, one time I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was uh, working as assistant manager or assistant to the general manager. I'm kidding, a little office reference. But uh, I was assistant manager of a Chick-fil-A in, in the mall in Birmingham, Chick-fil-A. We didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. And so I was there, and I was, it was a very difficult time in my life because I had just been uh, gone through a divorce a year or so before that. And my life was full of question marks. In fact, 
that would be the symbol. If I drew a symbol of my life at that time, it would be a question mark with a dark cloud and demons running around the question mark. I was, I was in a really tough time. And I remember one particular day, it was time for me to go and take my break and eat my free chicken sandwich. I mean, what better perk to working at Chick-fil-A, but it's time for my break. And I, I was washing my hands and I was thinking about all the stuff that was distressing me, super important stuff. And I remember thinking, I'm hearing a lot of thoughts. I'm hearing a lot of thoughts in my head, a lot of words swimming around in my head about what to do, what to worry about, fear, it's never gonna get better, this is never gonna work out, my life is just gonna be horrible. The whole, all of these thoughts are swimming around. And I remember saying to myself, well, I said it actually out loud. And I said, I need to hear the Father's words today. And so with my spicy chicken sandwich with a slice of American cheese on it and Chick-fil-A sauce to dip it in, I went into the food court of the Galleria and I had my little smaller Bible that I would take to work. And I said, for the next 20 minutes, I'm just going to listen to the Father's words. And I don't know what, what all the situations and all the not yets that are represented in this room or represented by the people who have clicked on this link to watch this video. Here's what I do know. That when God's words enter a situation... It's like a doorway opening that lets light in. And we all need more light. We need it. So I beg you, be guided by the word of God, just like the original 12 emissaries were in their not yet time. The last thing we're going to look at is, uh, is, is one uh, last encouragement to you about what we should do in our not yet time. There's three words, prepare, prepare, and prepare. Prep. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Approach this season that we're in, whether it's the big long story arc, like I said, where we're all in the biggest, baddest, not yet of all time. The fact that we know there's eternal life, but we have not entered that life yet. Or maybe there are more specific seasons of not yetness that you are in. Let us prepare. Let us get ready. Because look, man, when, when it's go time, and when, we're, and when we transition into a time or a season of our life where the activity is actually kicking in, I don't want to be sitting there going, wow, could I pause this and go back and prepare a little more? <laughs> Let's seize the moment now. Let's seize the opportunities now to say, God, get me ready. However you can. And if you're bold enough to pray by any means necessary, God, get me ready for what you have for me. Because I tell you, I believe that the stuff that happens in our not yet that prepares us for the future, that stuff that goes down, the things God 
does a deep dive in our heart on the healing that he wants to do, the unpleasantness that he wants us to face, the realities he wants us to stop running from, all of that, personally, I believe that's just as important, maybe even more important than the thing that's actually coming. How about if, what if we approached our life and everything that happens, good, bad, or ugly, win, lose, or tie, what if we approached everything we face and instead of just saying, God, save me from this thing, it's okay to pray that by the way, but also pray, God, use this thing to prepare me for what you have for me. What are you trying to do, Lord, with this thing that is really adding some drama to my not yet time? What are you wanting to do in me? What needs to change? What needs to heal? What stories do I need to tell from this? When I say prepare, it's not just to get some 100% future mindset going like this doesn't matter. It's like, this is the good, this is the good stuff. That's not the good stuff. It's going to be good, but this is the good stuff. Prepare, prepare, prepare. I challenge us to change how we assess the stuff of our day the stuff of our week, the stuff of our month, the stuff of our larger chunks of time. I challenge us to change the way we look at that stuff. And we say, God, you prepare me, do a work, do something. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Just so you know, and we're not gonna take time to look on on the screen here, but you you can finish off looking through these verses. They Actually, yeah, we do need to put this on the screen because this is kind of important. Uh, Verse 23, they nominated two men, Yosef Barsabo, surnamed Justice, and a guy named Matthias. See, I skipped the hard word. Don't judge me. I've had a hard week. So Justice and Matthias, right? Then they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over the work and the office of emissary that Judas abandoned to go where he belongs. Then they drew lots to decide between the two and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 emissaries. It almost sounds like they're like super spiritual. God, show us. Show us which one of these two awesome dudes is gonna take Judas's place. And right after they said, amen, they grabbed some dice and went, Matthias. It's almost like that's what it sounds like, right? They prayed and we're all spiritual. And then they <laughs> rolled the dice, you know, and just say, eeny, meeny, miny, you know, whatever. It wasn't that. It's actually a reflection of how devoted they were to how moments like this were addressed in the Old Testament scriptures. To cast lots was not simply to play a game of chance and see what happened, but they they really believed. And it happened tons of times in the Old Testament. And it was totally the way God operated with them. Where they would humble themselves and they would say, we don't know what to do, so Lord, show us. 
And then to cast lots was actually, it's, it's kind of an oversimplification, but basically they would take some kind of a container, they'd take two rocks or coins or something big enough to write on. And in this case, they wrote Matthias on one rock and justice on another rock. And they put those two in the container and they were like, all right, Lord, do your thing. And, they, and whichever one came out first, they said, God said Matthias. Now I know that sounds weird, but really what they were doing is they were saying, we don't know. And we're gonna trust God to guide us. The coolest part of this story is that literally days later, something would happen that would mean they nor us would ever have to cast lots again. You know what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the earth. And Jesus himself told us that the Holy Spirit was gonna uh, lead us into all truth. He was gonna be our counselor and our teacher. So we don't have to play that game. We pray, we seek God, we stay devoted to his word, we're connected in community and we trust that God is gonna guide us in the important decisions of our life. This is all preparation for what was about to happen to these 120 people. And now they had their 12 guys. Now they, they were all one unit. And then things got really crazy, man. And be here next Sunday, not, not, not be here, but gather on the land uh, down on Flat Rock Road because Ed is gonna tell us about the end of this not yet period in their lives when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Powerful stuff. You guys ready for that next week? It's gonna be cool. I just wanna encourage you in our not yet times, we have some decisions to make. Are we gonna be devoted to, to our own personal strategies and our attempts to control the situation, attempts to uh, figure things out? Are we gonna be devoted to just stressing and worrying 100% of the time? Or are we gonna be devoted to prayer? Are we gonna be in isolation or are we gonna be leaning into community? We're gonna be guided by our our gut, we're gonna be guided by the scriptures. Let's use all of this time to prepare us for what God has. Now, the last thing I wanna share with you is a thought about Judas, okay? Judas, he's the villain, right? The ultimate bad guy. He, I mean, he tore, he burned the play, he tried to burn the whole thing to the ground. Judas totally dropped the ball. A lot of people ask questions about the Judas thing. Was he picked out from thousands of years ago that he was gonna be the one? Was, it picked, was he picked out by name? Was he doomed to this fate? Did he have a choice? If he had a choice, when did his heart start to turn and go cold? Could he have changed? These are legit questions. Today's not the time, we're, we're not gonna answer, I'm not gonna answer those questions for you. Everybody's got their own opinion about that whole thing. It's not 100% clear from the teachings of scripture. Could be whatever, I don't know. They are legit questions and it's worth talking about, but I don't know the answers. Here's what I do know. Judas chose sin. And I remember probably 
40-something years ago, the first time I heard this phrase, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. I know that to be true in my life. The choices that I made, they did. It took me down a road farther than I wanted to go. I got stuck and hung out there way too long and it cost me more than I wanted to pay. And I also know this, that a, a one person's choice to sin doesn't just affect that one person. Judas and his choice created all this drama for the rest of them. It probably still stung because it wasn't that long ago, only a little over a month that their friend, their traveling companion, their teammate had betrayed not just Jesus, but ultimately betrayed them all. And so when we think about the story of Judas, I wanna ask you to turn your focus from asking those questions about him. And how about we turn the focus and ask some questions of ourselves? When, when was it that our hearts began to grow cold? When was it that we started making decisions that were gonna cost us a lot more than we ever imagined having to pay? And do we have a choice? And can we change? Sitting in the room here in person with us today and, and watching online, having clicked on this link, some of us have turned away from God. Some of us have said no to God all our lives. And some of us have really good reasons that we, that those are the choices we make. But what if today was the day that we turned and we turned to God? What if today was the day we turned back to God after having abandoned Him at some point on our journey? What if today was that day? Maybe you feel light years away from God. I know that feeling. But I, I know this also, that you and I are one step away from the embrace of our Heavenly Father. We are one turn away. We are one word away. And if we on this day call out to the Lord and say, God, help me. If we turn and call out on the name of Jesus, the Bible says that we will be saved. And I believe that today God has chosen in this moment to call some of us by name and call out on our name and say, come home to me. Today is a day for those who've never bowed the knee to Christ to invite him in. Today is a day for prodigals to come home. Today is a day for healing that you never believed could happen, could start. And all it takes is one word, one prayer, 
one turn and that whole process could start in this moment in time. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, be with us as we call out on you. As our heads are bowed, maybe you would say, hey, I'm that person that has always pushed God away. I've never, I've never come to him before. I've never bowed the knee. I never invited him into my life. I've always pushed away, but I want today to call out on his name. If that's you, I want you to just follow along in this simple prayer with me. There's no magic words in this prayer, but it's a way that you could call out on him. You could call on the name of the Lord. Just say, Father in heaven, I know I need you. Help me to turn from my sin. Help me to come to you. Be my Lord and my leader. Be my savior and forgiver. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, you called out on the name of the Lord and you are saved. And God wants to start the coolest journey you've ever been on right now. So we're happy for you. It's the best decision you ever made in your life. And we encourage you to tell somebody. You can tell us. Maybe if you're watching online, you can put it in the chat or go to our website, click connect at churchontrail.org. Maybe in the seat back in front of you, you grab a connection card and say, I asked Jesus. I prayed that prayer. You can just say, I prayed the prayer. Whatever. We'd love to encourage you. Call somebody. Talk to somebody. Call your mom. Tell her you prayed today. We've got a prayer team that gathers at the end of our gatherings, which we're just about to wrap up. And they're in the back corner. They'd love to pray for you. You pray with them about anything today before you leave. If you guys don't mind, stand with me. We're going to sing one last song. But before we do, I just want to, I want to share something with you. There's a, there's a line in this song that says, this is a song about, about God's love never giving up on us. How many of you are grateful that God's love never gave up on us? Isn't that great news? There's a line in the song that says, it's not over till you say so. It's basically trying to tell us it's not too late. It's not too late to turn. It's not too late to come back to God. Like I said, you might have really legit reasons that you turned away from God. And it might've been a long time, but today you could come back to God. And as soon as you find yourself turning and making that one step, next thing you know, you're in his embrace. He is, his love is all around you. I have a dear friend in recovery who tells the story about when he hit his rock bottom and his sin, his addiction, he, he landed in jail. And he was sitting in jail. And he felt like God spoke a message to him just in his mind and in his heart. 
He felt like God said to him, this is not the end. This is not the end. I don't know who, I think there, some of us needed to hear that today. What we're in right now, this is not the end. Where you've ended up, it's not the end. Let's do what this song talks about. Let's celebrate the fact that no matter how far I run, you never gave up on me. So during the song, I encourage you, return to the Lord. I'm begging you, be reconnected and reconciled to God. Come back to God today. In the moment of this song, make it your prayer. You don't even have to sing it, just listen to it. Come back to God. One word, one step, one prayer, and you're back in. And his offer to bring healing to what's broken and his offer to set you on a path that will change everything. That offer still stands. So let's pray as we sing. Lord, we're coming back to you today.